Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the PKN Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I am joined by Lindy Hewson, Managing Editor and Publisher of the PKN Magazine, and also the host of this podcast. Lindy, how are you going today? Well, I'm very good today, Grant. It's a nice sunny day in Sydney, and today we're going to be talking about some of my favorite things, sustainability, soft plastics, and so on. So we have talked a lot about plastics, um, sustainability in particular on the show, and one of the areas that has been in the spotlight um, is flexible plastics also called soft plastics when we talk about it in general terms. And today we've got joining us on the show one of the an expert in flexible packaging. In fact, he's an expert in many things packaging, but um, we're honing in on this particular area where he works at the moment. Um, Richard Smith, he is the Director of Sustainability at Amcor Flexibles Asia Pacific. Uh, Amcor Flexibles is globally the biggest converter of flexibles, certainly so in the Asia-Pacific area. Now, Richard has a firm belief that we have no time to waste in the pursuit of circularity and that the solution has several dimensions, packaging, waste collection infrastructure, consumer behavior, and recycling infrastructure. We're going to be covering a lot of ground today because Richard will be talking about all these things. Richard, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Lindy. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. Well, we're going to kick it off straight away and start talking about the flexible packaging conundrum. Flexible packaging is a massive growth area. Flexible packaging is a growing format, very popular, and it is successful because it is lightweight and has many other properties, which Richard, you're going to share with us now. And that the very fact that it has all these good properties actually conversely also makes it a problem um, when it comes to trying to recover it. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, thanks, Lindy. I, I think um, if you're a brand owner or a retailer or a consumer, we all know that uh, safe and high-quality packaging are, are essential for our food and medical and pharmaceutical products. And probably today in a time of pandemic, is it's probably more true than ever, right? So, um at, at Amcor, we have a very clear point of view when it comes to sustainability, and and we think there's always going to be a role for packaging as the value about what it brings to us and the world is really vital. Secondly, the the requirements of packaging is evolving, and uh, consumers expect more today from packaging, including that packaging be designed to be recycled or compostable or reusable. And so we think at Amcor that it's really responsible packaging that's the answer. And if we think a moment about uh, flexible packaging, it, it's a fantastic packaging medium uh, and has been very successful over the past few decades. And, and there's good reason for that, as you touched on, Lindy. Um, if if uh, flexible packaging um, really reduces the amount of plastic that's actually required to um, package a product, um, it looks great for consumer engagement, the way that it can be printed. It's very lightweight, um, and it has really excellent barrier properties for protecting the product. And it has a very low carbon footprint, really low usage of water, and it's cost effective. So it's been very successful from all of those points. Of course, that all means that at its end of life, there's not much mass to collect. And it, because it's made from multiple materials, um, and that can make it a little bit more difficult. And it does not get collected today as widely as rigid packaging does. 
And that's really the paradox that we that we face today with flexible packaging. It's got this great environmental footprint when it's in its use, but it's really challenging at its end of life. And that's probably the sort of linear economy that we say that we're living in right now and that we see with soft plastics. Um, but actually, that's where I get really excited. And if we flip that paradox on its head, um, we can have a flexible packaging that is super efficient. It's low plastic use. It's low energy, low carbon, and it can be circular. And, and that's really the, the opportunity we have for flexible packaging. So when we talk about material recovery, what progress is being made on the soft plastics material recovery front? We have Red Group and Red Cycle. We've got Replas. We've got organizations like that um, making soft plastics into roads and park benches and, and lots of good work. However, is enough of it happening? Is it happening fast enough? What's your view? I think, uh, Lindy, material recovery has improved. If we look at the more recent reports from APCO, um, in 2018, we had about 16% recovery. And with in 2018-19, we moved to about 18%, a 2% increase. Is it moving fast enough? Um, I think everyone would prefer to see more collection of plastics and flexibles in general, really. And if I switch a bit of gears on that as well, in terms of PCR uh, content in plastics, um, that same APCO report shows us with all plastics sitting at about uh, 4% PCR uh, in our packaging across Australia. And um, really, I think there's a, a long way to go uh, because there's probably zero in, in real terms in terms of PCR and flexibles today. If I look at the Red Cycle program, um, which is the Take Back to Store uh, model program that's been running for some years by Red Group um, with Coles and Woolworths, it's great. It's fantastic work that's been going on. And, and it really does give an opportunity for consumers to participate um, in, the, in the work. And the work that's been done by Replayers and Plastic Forests and others in creating some really innovative products like you touched on uh, is, is outstanding. Um, I have no doubt, though, if we if we had some people from replayers or plastic forests or others on the call today, they would probably prefer to see a, a greater take up of their products by consumers and government and private organisations. And I think there's probably still opportunities in purchasing policies that could help drive the demand for uh, recycled materials and recycled products uh, today. Yeah. So there's definitely you. You obviously need to have that end end market. That is the driver and the pull. Um, the, the other potential thing um, that is an issue is compliance, consumers actually getting the stuff to to the red, red cycle collection bins and, and so on. And I'm wondering how much momentum there is behind curbside collection of flexibles. I think that um, we, we should touch on that in terms of that uh the momentum behind curbside is is actually building. Um, we are seeing, obviously, trials, for instance, happening right now with the Kirby program uh, sponsored by Nestle there. And I think we're seeing really good uptake uh, on that program and, and that the people living in those areas where that's running are excited by the opportunities that instead of having to go back to store, they can actually just put it into their bag and out with the rest of their recycled products that they're putting out. Um, 
we've also been seeing in uh, work that Amcor's been doing in the US, uh, we did a, a trial development uh, with the materials for the materials recovery for future program, uh, the MRFF, uh, and we saw a fantastic take up uh, by those communities in the US in being able to put their flexibles out with rigid packaging through their local MRF and be able to be collected curbside. Uh, and that's really shown us that it is possible and we do see strong consumer uptake and being able to participate with their flexible packaging. Yeah, I think um, just one last note on that whole curbside thing. I, I just reading an article or writing an article actually recently about Vizzy uh, suggesting that they would like to have councils having glass separated because the value of having the separate dedicated stream is is so much um, higher for them in terms of getting that clean stream of potential recyclate, really. Um, so if we could do that with flexibles, that would just speed things up and create that volume that's required. Um, so, but that's, that's one thing uh, to recover in that way. What about other solutions to the circularity challenge uh, for flexible plastics, uh, like chemical recycling, for instance? Yeah, Lindy, I, I see really actually four really key areas that need to come together if we want to talk about the circularity of uh, flexible plastics. Um, the first part of that is uh, the harmonisation, as I call it, of flexible packaging design. Um, and this is where companies like Amcor, brand owners, uh, retailers um, can ensure that the flexible packaging is designed to guidelines, as we see from CFLEX and coming out from the Ella MacArthur Foundation and the Barrier Project that they've been running. And the rationale for that is this means that the flexible packaging, when it's designed like that and when it's collected, will be much more homogenous in the materials being used. And also, and really importantly, optimised for mechanical recycling and or advanced or chemical recycling. And it means when those flexibles are collected, the collectors actually can get a critical mass of like materials. And, you know, that creates scale and that creates value. The second part really is that we really need this whole consumer engagement um, piece. And again, this is where packaging design comes into play for flexibles because it means that we, it's much simpler to conform with the ARL and, and make it easier to engage consumers on what they need to do with their flexible packaging at, at its end of life. And I definitely see the ARL has been a crucial link for everyone in the supply chain. So Grant, just so you know, the ARL, we've referred to it before on the show, but it's the Australasian Recycling Label. And that is a, a label that makes it very clear for the consumer how to dispose of that packaging. Cool. Thanks. I was wondering about that. <laughs> There's so many little terms that we use across flexible packaging. There <laughs> <laughs> yes, <they> are. <laughs> so that was the first the first two, Richard, if you can... Yeah, the third and um, um, really important element that we need to see is, is harmonisation of collection and sorting. Um, there's approximately 400,000 tonnes of soft plastics to be collected every year across Australia. Uh, and I don't think we're going to be able to achieve that uh, just through take-back-to-store models. Uh, I think we need the curbside collections to create that mass and scale a bit to the point that you were raising before, Lindy. 
And as I touched on before, we've seen programs like the MRFF uh, running in the US that really enabled consumers to be able to do that curbside. Uh, in that case, it was flexibles mixed in with rigids and being successfully sorted with technology at the MRF. Um, we're seeing as well the Kirby program again with terrific uptake here locally. We really need the investment in our MRFs and the sorting organisations across the board and we need to be able to harmonise collections so we can build scale. And that sort of brings me then to the fourth point that we need, and that is if we can harmonise across the supply chain uh, the design of the flexibles, the labelling, the consumer engagement and the collection, we're going to then have a mass of flexible packaging and it just then needs the end use right, which is, and that's where the, that's where the advanced chemical recycling comes into place. One really important point that we're focused on right now in Amcor is that if we're going to get circularity back into food packaging or into pharma packaging and other those other high-end uses, we're really going to need the materials to be product safe, as we call it. And that actually at this point really needs chemical recycling. Um, it's, in mechanical recycling just doesn't seem to meet the, the requirements we need for product safety going back into those end-use applications. We really have a huge opportunity, in my view, here in Australia. Uh, we have a polymer industry. Um, we have in Melbourne, in Geelong, in Altona, we have the petrochemical infrastructure that's there. We have the engineers. We've got the knowledge, which could, with investment, convert those collected materials through a technology called pyrolysis right back into plastic. And this would create the demand for the collection industry, which is what they miss today. Uh, and we could become totally circular. And to me, this is so much better than turning collected plastics back into energy, uh, for instance. Now, that's going to take significant investment across the supply chain. Um, but what I think we can grasp about this picture of those all those four elements coming together is this is a huge opportunity for Australian manufacturing, uh, for our science and our research communities, and it's it's really all about jobs if, as as I see it. It it's a big picture, but it's so doable. I think with all the right policies and cross industry collaboration, it's happening now in Europe and in other parts of the world, and I, I really don't see why it can't happen here, really. It's, it's, a, it's a, something I think we should really be moving towards. So, Richard, have you um, and your perhaps members of your team, are you engaging in those kinds of collaborative conversations to try to make it happen here in Australia? Absolutely. It's, and it's, you know, it's, as uh, Sustainability Director for AFAP, it's, it's certainly one of my key focuses to ensure that we, we do reach out across the supply chain and try to help and ensure that we can achieve these sorts of outcomes. It's crucial. It's not just going to be Amcor. It's not just going to be our customers, the retailers. It's everybody. It's government across the whole, across the whole value chain that's really going to have to come together here. But certainly this, this, this is the sort of vision that I think we can see that can come together for us here in Australia. Well, we've seen how much investment there's been uh, to date and continues to be in things like the recycling for PET, new facilities that are coming on board, sod being turned at greenfield sites and so on. So that's really exciting. So it seems to me that government is looking at those sorts of projects. So I'm really looking forward to hearing <laughs> that you've got something underway and I'm sure in, in due course. One of the projects I do want to talk about um, that's happening globally is is the Holy Grail project. Holy Grail 2.0, I, I believe is the correct term. Can you tell us what that is and um, what its aim is, what it's achieved to date and what AMCOR's involvement is in it? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Lindy. Um, well, we were just talking about then the need to harmonise collection and sorting. 
And the Holy Grail project is right in that space in real terms. It's a really exciting project that's been led under the auspices of AIM, which is the European Brands Association. Um, there are 85 companies and organisations involved, of, of which Amcor is one. And the project is assessing whether a pioneering digital technology can enable better sorting and higher quality recycling rates for packaging, both rigid and flexibles in real terms, and, and to really help drive a, a truly circular economy. Now, the, the digital technology being referred to is a digital watermark, um, which are like an imperceptible 3D code about the size of a postage stamp, and they all cover the surface of a package. And you can imagine maybe that those uh, little 3D codes are going to be like the, the barcode of recycling, if you will. And uh, the codes will hold all sorts of information. You know, we know 3D codes uh, can hold lots of information and they will hold information about the package, maybe where it was made, uh, the materials that it's, it's constructed from, uh, whether the package was used for food or non-food and, and, and a whole raft of other information. Ultimately, the idea is that the sorting technology will be adapted to existing equipment uh, within a MRF and, and create valuable streams of light materials. Uh, and that's all about, again, about getting to critical mass. And that gets economies of scale that, that we just don't have today, obviously, and particularly around flexibles. Um, the project started under the under actually the Ellen MacArthur for, uh, Foundation um, and moved uh, underneath AIM uh, last year, and there was, there was more work done last year. This year and around about July, they're going to move to some industrial size trials, uh, and then there'll be further, much larger scale-up trials happening in 2022. AMCOR's involvement in that project, um, I suppose us being a preeminent leader in uh, printing, in gravure, flexo, offset flexo, digital technologies, um, we're sort of bringing that breadth of printing competence to the Holy Grail project um, to help create trial materials, to help understand the ability of that uh, technology in the various different print technologies. Uh, and I think it's really super exciting. Um, I'm really looking forward to the trial results as I see they have real implication for the circularity of packaging here in Australia. I think it'd be really complementary to everything we're doing here. Yeah, and I think this was really great as well is that there are many other major brand owners involved in the project. Um, so you've got people like Coca-Cola, Kellogg, Mondelez, Johnson & Johnson, Tetra Pak, many, 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 many more, which is uh, really good to see because it's when you get powerful brands like that behind something as well, it gives a huge impetus. And of course, they have a vested interest in getting it right, don't they? And absolutely, because you see uh, a whole raft of uh, people involved that understand how to innovate. And as you say, they're really, really wedded to trying to get an outcome that works for industry, not any one particular part of the, of the supply chain. And another reason is that they have gone out there quite vocally, loud and proud, stating their own sustainability goals. And here in Australia, they many of them have signed up to um, trying to meet the 2025 national packaging targets, which is something I want to talk about next. So one of the other hats that you wear is that you're on the board at the Australian Packaging Covenant Organization. Um, and so you're involved in that whole process of overseeing as such, um, bringing those targets to fruition. So what role do you think the targets are playing in encouraging investment in the circular economy? 
And if you can give us that from two perspectives, from APCO's perspective um, and also perhaps from AMCOR's perspective. Sure. Thanks, Lindy. I think that um, from an introductory sort of perspective, you know, the targets, first of all, are about overcoming barriers and, and meeting the 2025 targets uh, encourages change at almost every stage of the packaging supply chain. And as I've touched upon, will require us to overcome gaps in our current capability and infrastructure and technology. And for businesses, these gaps are going to also represent exciting opportunities for investment, become early adapters of new technologies and operating models, and and really be able to take to the next stage of uh, manufacturing and supply here in, in Australia. The other element of uh, meeting these targets is it's really about economic opportunity. I mean, meeting the 2025 targets is absolutely a great thing for the environment, but it's really good for business and the economy. In the most recent report that came out from APCO, the Australian Packaging Consumption and Recycling Data Report, they found that there was uh, 2.9 million tonnes of packaging waste being disposed of to landfill, and that had a lost economic value of uh, $520 million. It's, uh, it's a huge loss to our, to our economic well-being. So there's some really specific areas around these targets as well that will drive investment. The 70% plastics recovery target for 25 will in particular require significant investment in domestic recycling infrastructure as as we've touched on in this conversation. And it'll also require significant changes to packaging design uh, and investment in new processing capacity and end market development as well. The 50% average recycle content uh, across all packaging by 2025 really also speaks to being a key driver of sustainable procurement and, and circularity. And I'm sure that this target will increase investment in processing facilities to, to boost that supply of recycled content material and be matched by um, both government commitments and procurement targets for specified uh, recycled materials. Maybe from my own perspective, uh, personally, I, I see that targets are incredibly important. Um, circularity is definitely possible. It's going to require significant investment in harmonisation of collection and in advanced uh, chemical recycling technologies. Um, some of these investments will be very large. It'll be in the hundreds of millions of dollars when we talk about advanced recycling technologies. And those organisations that undertake that sort of investment, they're going to need to be assured of the utilisation and return on those assets for maybe for the next 10 or 20 years. And I think it's going to be difficult uh, to justify that sort of economic investment if it's less to the risks or the vagaries of virgin material variations or purchasing decisions that can be made on for short-term sort of economic gain. And I I think it's those sorts of economic forces in reality that have, have today led us to being in a linear economy relative to our materials. So these large investments, I think, need to be really clearly underpinned by unambiguous demand for post-consumer recycled materials. And this can be secured, I think, only really with mandated targets um, for PCR in all of our packaging formats. I, I see that actually really fundamental for our success in transitioning to a circular economy. So I see the 2025 targets that we have as 
absolutely crucial. I've actually seen in my own role the behavioural change in the marketplace since they've been announced, and it's just wonderful to see that. Uh, I see further more regulated targets as being fundamental to our success. And the opportunity for, for this type of industry change, as I've outlined, I think is absolutely huge for us here in Australia. And I think it's an opportunity that we should be really passionate about, Lindy. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and one thing I can tell you now is that we're definitely passionate about it at Amcor and ensuring that we've got responsible packaging to, to enable this to happen. Well, I have to say, I, it is such an exciting time to be a packaging reporter, <laughs> to be writing up so many positive change stories every single week and to be able to talk about them on the show and to be able to do our video news bulletins on them. So from that point of view, I, I can only say there's a lot of progress. There's a lot of work still to be done. We can't fool ourselves about that. And certainly when you last spoke at the AIP conference, you made it very clear there is no time to waste. You know, we have to get on with it. So <laughs> on that note, Richard, do you have any final words of wisdom for our industry? Thanks, Lenny. You're quite right. There is no time to waste. Um, I'd like to thank you for the opportunity of having this discussion today. I think one thing if I could say is that um, we've covered a lot of ground on flexibles, packaging and packaging today, and I, I hope the listeners actually do get excited, get involved, be involved with APCO and the other industry organisations. We've got the opportunity to make a real change for now and for our future generations, and, and that's something that gets me excited every day and I'm, I'm hopeful we'll get everyone else excited as well to participate so uh, and ensure our packaging becomes circular so thank you well thanks very much for joining us richard thank you very much for your contribution to the packaging industry to date and that's it over to you grant thank you lindy and thank you also richard well done that was a very in-depth discussion on what's going on with uh, packaging and such. I, as Lindy said, it's quite exciting. Uh, she, she's the reporter. I'm just uh, here for the ride with the uh, episodes and I'm learning so much. So thank you both. I'm learning more every episode. And ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back in the not too distant future with another episode where you too can learn more about what's going on in the packaging world. Thank you. You've been listening to the PKN Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News. Owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.